0: On this episode of Crowdfunding Nerds, we talk about how to spot fake Kickstarter gurus and also how to avoid some marketing gimmicks. We talk about incredible claims that some people can make. We talk about the uh, algorithms of Google and YouTube that can be manipulated to make people seem like they have more authority. We also talk about the need for gurus or so-called gurus to show their receipts and to be able to have hard numbers that they can share with people so that you can really trust what they're saying. Let's get into it.
1: Game begin.
0: Let, 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 let's go. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his marketing level?
1: It's over 9,000! What, 9,000? I must be using crowdfunding nerds.
0: Amazing.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lone, and I am joined by Sean this week, and we're going to talk about Kickstarter Gurus. So, um, mostly, we're going to talk about me, um, and some about Sean. Incorrect. Right. We're going to be talking about fake Kickstarter gurus. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad we could at least make that delineation. So, um, Sean, you want to kind of kick us off?
0: Yeah, so we're in the process of creating a YouTube channel. We sort of have one there. It's been sitting there. We have podcasts that automatically get uploaded. But we really feel like this is an area that we can tap into and that it can bring a lot of benefit to people. So we've been doing a lot of sort of research and development and saying seeing What's out there? When you type in Kickstarter into YouTube, uh, what's the first videos to pop up? And to our surprise, we've seen a lot of people who probably aren't very qualified, <laughs> to say the least, to be talking about Kickstarter. And I think they're well-intentioned and some of the stuff they're saying is, is certainly valid. But I think mm-hmm. there's some dangers in just seeing the first video you see on YouTube and then mm-hmm. watching it and saying, oh, there we now I know Kickstarter, and then going about your merry way. Uh, so we want to talk about some warnings, uh, maybe some suggestions of how to spot fake Kickstarter gurus or how to spot people who maybe aren't as qualified as they appear to be in terms of really, should you be listening to these people? Should you be taking their advice on board?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I always think about this. So um, in another area, I am very purposeful about the content that I put inside my head. Um, One of them would be business advice. There are so many business books out there And many of them are garbage, total, total garbage. Um, Selling books are the same way. I used to, you know, read a ton of selling books. And um, there are some that are excellent and some that are just terrible. Um, Or, you know, I mean, using uh, like Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He did not become wealthy until he wrote that book. Um, (laughs) And so that's. I mean, immediate, immediate fl- red flag for me. So it's like, am I, am I learning from a guy that didn't make it before he wrote a book? Um, so you know, I'm I'm reading his book like he's an expert. But the reason he made money was because of his make, you know, his book. So anyway, it's uh, it's one of those things that um, it's very very easy to hear something and say, ah, this is how I do it. And it it's you let it be implanted in your long term memory. And you you commit to this strategy that's actually bad. So um, you know, I, I I mean, the same is true with theology. You know, like make sure that you trust the person that you're that you're listening to. Um, you know, and of course, business, and then certainly crowdfunding. And test all things, yeah, yeah, exactly. Test all things so you know what's what's good and what's bad. Um, and the thing is, you know, when you're less knowledgeable about something like crowdfunding or even when there is less information available. That's one thing about Kickstarter, GameFound, all like crowdfunding strategy. It seems like overall as an industry, there's not a ton of helpful content out there compared to, you know, other industries like how to make money online or whatever. Um, So I just, in general, we stepped into this whole industry back in, I guess, late 2019 uh, because we saw there was a a massive lack of, um, I guess, of decent marketing companies in here, and that we could become the the number one marketing company because there were just so few competitors.
0: And another thing to keep in mind is that when you do a search on Google or on YouTube, we have a sort of innate tendency to believe that the result at the top has more authority, more authority, or that it's more accurate. When really, it, there's a lot of factors I go into what's happening behind search mm. and algorithms, usually, particularly on YouTube, usually what's being promoted is that which is most popular, has the longest watch time. So it doesn't mean that the video at the top is the most accurate. It could just be that, for whatever reason, it's getting the most traffic. It might have a better thumbnail. might have a better headline. Uh, it might be better pushing their own audiences there. Mm-hmm. So the video that you're seeing is not necessarily the one that has the best information. It just the one... That is most popular, and that's that's something to to be very aware of, particularly when you're trying to find information uh, through mm-hmm. search, whether it's Google or whether it's through YouTube. That one the one at the top does not necessarily mean it's going to be the, the best right. advice that you can get out there.
1: Yeah, and actually, you know, when looking at Google and YouTube, so Google search is so what are the, how, what incentivizes them. Um, it it simply boils down to you wanting to use that service again, and the way that Google Search works, it's all about user intent. I'm looking for something because I'm motivated by need, and I want to find the best match for the thing. Um, that is not the same on YouTube. You might think it's the same, but it's not. So the uh, so let me first explain what I mean by when I when I'm talking about Google Search. You are looking for something. I don't know. You're looking for a local chiropractor or a local hair salon or a local board game shop or whatever. You're there are several factors that matter quite a lot. One is the distance to a, you know, to the various board game shops that are listed. Like, um, you know, I live probably an hour away from one of the coolest board game shops around called Nightwatch games in San Antonio. And if that was the first result. It would actually be pretty disappointing because that's an hour away. You know? There are, you know, four or five board game shops in my city, and there and it is likely that I am looking for a local shop. Um, you know, if I'm looking for a gym, I'm not looking to drive an hour. And so there are certain bits of intent in the customers when they're using Google search that make Google, you know, and Google has been trying to um, understand what people want for for a very long time, right? <clears throat> so, yes. So, um, Google understands, and and I we operate on Google. Half of our business is it, since you know May of two thousand twelve. We've been search engine optimization specialists uh, for small businesses and whatnot. And I've worked for eight hundred and fifty clients um, in that in that arena. And uh, you know, over the I guess twelve years that we've been doing that. And, um, it's, it's absolutely clear that you want to show the user that they made the right choice when they went to your site. Um, so that, you know, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's very important. Now, um, YouTube, I'll contrast by saying I've ranked YouTube videos, but it seems to be more about entertainment than answering a question. Mm. So, um, you know, for example sensationalist headlines like don't use kickstarter do this instead scam. yeah it's like there's a whole reddit for a subreddit dedicated to saving you a click it feels like people are so easily baited on youtube and that is not so much the case on google because there's search intent they can just read they can just search again and search again until they find you know they'll use longer and longer key uh, phrases in, you know, type longer and longer phrases in Google, um, to get closer to what it is they're looking for. If they didn't feel like that was a good search on YouTube, they scroll, they do the doom scroll and, um, it, it can be very, very low quality results with lots of views and interesting thumbnails and built for, I mean, I feel like excellent YouTube videos now are built for zoomers that, um, You know, cut every two, three seconds, and are just very um, ASMR and other have other elements. But here's
0: some dopamine. Here's some more dopamine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So YouTube's incentive, the way that I see it, and you know, again, I'm just I'm just one guy, but I I have a lot of experience in this area. YouTube is more about entertaining you so that you'll click on another video.
0: Yeah. So one thing I want to come back to because you talked a little bit about seo and what you just did there is that you demonstrated that you're not faking it because you have numbers mm-hmm. behind your expertise you said that you've run over 800 clients since 2012 so you have not only a number of clients you've run for mm-hmm. but you also a date when you started this is very important because you often see a lot of these youtube videos of kickstarter gurus or i suppose anywhere you'd find some type of guru trying to sell you their marketing services or whatever is that they'll just jump into the information. And this can be concerning because we don't know who these people are and they don't tell you anything solid about their background or or share any kind of solid numbers. They just speak Mm -hmm. authoritatively about Kickstarter. And then what they might be saying is very true, but who are they to tell you uh, that this is the case? And so it's just something you need to be careful of that some people can speak very authoritatively in these videos, but you're kind of thinking, well, who are you to, Tell anybody what experience do you have? Or what success rate do you have, and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. So, that's, and, and that's let me let one me of hop- the things.
1: It's just yeah. Let me hop in on that one yeah, because sure. even with what I said, I I could have totally made those numbers up. Um, obviously, uh, I well, I say obvious because it's obvious to me. I have all that experience. I didn't make those numbers up. We've done lots of case studies, and even you can even go to our website and and see case studies um, on Next Level Web. But um, the I guess it's all about, in in my opinion, it's as much about... Uh, so actually, let me use a different type of example. So you go look up a board game because you want to, you know, you're, you're thinking about buying it. Um, Cloudspire by Chip Theory Games, which is a game that I really, really love that I can almost never get to the table. Um, and you just like Cloudspire review in, into YouTube, and then first... Two reviewers you you uh, watch say, you know, I didn't like Cloudspire. Does that mean that Cloudspire is a bad game? Uh, no. Does that mean that it's a bad game for you? Not at all. What uh, what you really need to understand is like, what kind of games do those people like? And so, um, or you know, vice versa, if someone says, "Well, Cloudspire is the best game ever," um, what you really need to understand is like. Do what? What is the taste of those of those um, content creators? Do they like games like that? Do they like games like me? And so, to, you know, what you really want to do is, you know, when you're looking up for a board game review, is you want to have found a, a creator that has tastes that are similar to yours. Um, for example, um, like Sam Healy, Alex Radcliffe, uh, and Jesse Anderson of Quackalope, and and actually uh, to, to an extent, Tom Vassell of Dice Tower have similar tastes in games um, that I that I have. So if, if any of them say that I really liked this particular game, then there's a solid, solid chance that I will as well. Um, and so I'm more likely to take their reviews more seriously for myself because they match up more closely with me. So what I'll do is I'll actually type, and this is when, like I think this is an educated YouTube search, is I'm looking for, um, you know, Sam Healy review of Blood Rage or, you know, that kind of thing. That's what I type into YouTube. I'm looking for a specific person's opinion on something. Um, And so when, so let me parlay this to so called experts on YouTube. When you see a video from, you know, expert one on YouTube about, you know, never use Kickstarter, do this instead. the first thing you should probably do is to research that person figure out what is their expertise um you know like crowdfunding nerds i can tell you we have about 175 crowdfunding campaigns under our belt we've raised between 15 and 20 million dollars for creators um 80% of those are first timers and we fund almost every single campaign that comes through our door in fact i think um we have we are certainly like what five or six uh, failures and some of those have relaunched to success and and all of that. That's a good track record, a really good track record that we can show. We work with big IPs. We work with small things. You can find all of that without listening to the propaganda machine that is Andrew Lowen talking to you right now in your earbuds. You can actually go to our website. You can ask on social media. You can you know search around and say, who are these crowdfunding nerds and are they legit? I think that that you're, I mean, it's it's really important to qualify the people, the experts, so called that are that you're listening to.
0: In fact, what we've recently right. done is we've created a clients list on our website. So we list all the people we've ever worked with. So you can go to those publishers, you can go to those individuals, and you can message them. Say, "Hey, Crowdfunding nerds have listed you on their website. They said that you have worked with them. How's your experience with them in the past? Do you recommend them? Do you, do you not recommend them? And then you're going to get a completely honest." Reply from those people because they've got no incentive to tell you which, which any any which way. So uh, that's one reason mm-hmm. why we did that. So if people can see these are all the the clients that we have worked with, and go chat to them if you want. Go go reach out, and message them, and, and see how their experiences with us were. So one thing I'd say is, so the bullet point here is to, for people to show their receipts. You know, when people mm-hmm. make incredible claims. They need to show their receipts if they 're going to say that they 're some type of expert that they 're going to speak authoritatively on a subject and educate mm-hmm. you and say hey i 've got something to tell you that you don 't know well then show your receipts show, show the mm-hmm. results and this can be done with hard data with numbers mm-hmm. uh, and, and not simply just you know kind of waffling or saying things I, I saw some some of these YouTube videos, and again, a lot of them are well meaning I think there's valuable information in it but they're like, oh, I've done three Kickstarters so far, and now I'm going to tell you how to, how to do it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you've only got three Kickstarters. Uh, sure, I'm sure you've learned stuff, but it's not the same as like an agency like us, and we've got we're approaching two hundred <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of those, as well, just just to be clear, are in the tabletop gaming sp- or the video, video gaming space, particularly focusing on gaming. So that's where our niche, that's where our expertise is, is in mm-hmm. gaming. So something to keep in mind, you might find someone who's very competent at crowdfunding. They've got some Kickstarters under their belt, but it might be in a completely different industry. And that, there's a completely different approach, completely different, you know, way of thinking and, and even uh, a profitability for different types of campaigns. So something to keep in mind. I think that's another thing is that uh, one thing that separates us, I suppose, from a lot of other so-called gurus and uh, even agencies is that We are a digital marketing agency, Next Level Web, with a crowdfunding arm, Crowdfunding Nerds, that specializes in tabletop games. But we also have a publishing company, Lowen Games, that's produced our own tabletop game, Deliverance, and has successfully crowdfunded that and is continuing to to uh, develop that project. So we have a lot of expertise in digital
1: marketing as a whole. Not just that. I mean, you published a game and then Ryan published a game. Yes, exactly. So
0: we even have people in our team who have published games of of varying degrees. So we we come into the space not only as marketers, but also as publishers. So we have a lot of industry connections that can... Help you and connect you with other people within the industry. So, if you need a, mm-hmm. uh, someone to help you with a di- distribution, we have people we can recommend. You need someone to help you mm-hmm. with uh, Amazon and, and e commerce sales, we can recommend people to you. You, you need illustrators and uh, you know, even game designers, we, we have people we can recommend to you. So, right.
1: which pledge manager is manager's the best? Which crowdfunding platform should I use? Like, those are all questions that we answer for free for people that. Consult with us, you know.
0: Um, Some people I feel like they they kind of milk it because it's like they hire us Mm -hmm. for marketing and then they have all these kind of like publishing (laughs) questions. They're like, "Okay, we'll help you with this. No problem." We we send them on their
1: way. Yeah, and and I do want to because I think there are some people listening that are like you know being a devil's advocate, saying, "Well, you know, combined, I mean, Andrew Lowen Games has only made one game, and you're telling me that somebody that made three games is less of an expert and whatnot." And now, don't be fooled. We have run 175 Kickstarter campaigns. That's the number that you should be that you should pay attention to. And what I think, you know, being gamers and game produced game publishers, that helps us understand our people. You know, Um, and I think that that's probably the most important piece of the puzzle. It's like I can tell you what to do, um, but to understand what you're going through it it allows like that that next level of service that um you know and like for example i can tell you that like right before your kickstarter begins you're going to feel like you're on the top of a roller coaster and then by the time your kickstarter ends you'll be a puddle of water on the ground plan some time off you know um and uh, you know other things i can tell you what i did during my mid campaign what you could do during your mid campaign and all of that is not necessarily things you pay me for they're just bits of advice that I have that work for me, when you have a question, I will say, yes, I have experienced that or I've experienced something similar because of my own experiences um, running my publishing company, building my audience from nothing and trying to make this brand new thing work. Um, but really the expertise that that we've gained is in helping others fund. I mean, that's the fact that we have funded games is, is a nice bonus, but that we've helped hundreds of others fund is um, probably the, well, I mean, almost hundreds, I guess we're 175. What is that? uh, Many dozens of people. Is that what you call it? (laughs) So, so one thing I think we should touch on as
0: well is, I don't know if you want to get into this, but like marketing gimmicks. Okay. So there's a lot of different techniques out there. Some of them that we uh, find useful, some less. And, I think a lot of this can happen is because certain agencies are probably better optimized for different industries. So you might find certain techniques that work well. And I I can fully admit that our our techniques don't work very well with some other industries. For example, we, we have a lot of emphasis on building a community space to kind of chat and talk. This works really well for games because games, there's rule books, there's people you can chat about there's components you can chat about there's games you can talk about there's meme culture that mm-hmm. you can tap into well if you've got something that's great
1: on picture in pictures and video exactly
0: but yeah. if you've got maybe something like i don't know like a tech product having a community community around like the coolest this, belt yeah or like the the new mouse that you've just produced something I is probably not going to work as well as uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think our system is better tailored towards uh, things in which people can mm-hmm. kind of Uh, surround themselves around rather than maybe like utilities or utility tools. It doesn't work as well. It's an
1: experience. I think that is that we're really good at marketing. We're really great at marketing experiences. Um, You know, very interestingly, this, this actually never went anywhere, but remember from the nineties, those eyeballs that were like squishy red, like they were, they were basically squishies in the nineties. And there were these, like, it was an eyeball that you could like hold in your fingers or hold in your hand and like squish. And the, There would be red juice on the inside that go. Yeah. Um, yeah. They contacted us and uh, you know, I want to say six months ago and we're like, Hey, we're relaunching this thing. It was like one of the most popular toys from the nineties and we're crowdfunding it and, and that sort of thing. And I didn't, it didn't go that far, but I thought, man, you know, how are we going to market this as an experience? It's like there, there's so much competition now and I don't know how like i just i found myself at a little bit of a loss like i can i can turn the marketing machine on and i can get clicks and i can get emails and and that sort of thing we can do our best to say this product's amazing and whatnot on the landing page but there's so much competition like what is going to differentiate this from competitors now that are available for you know five bucks at your local target or um you know I don't know, Walmart. What do you guys have over there in the UK? Pound stores. Yes. So yeah, like Dollar Tree <laughs> P- is, is really popular. Yeah. So um, I think that uh, – no, oh, that's Poundland. That's tough. That's like the $2 store in the <laughs> US. It's <laughs> like dang. So um, anyway, I, I think that certain products, we actually will vet You know, every single product that comes through – our, our agency, not because we want to keep our success rate really high or anything like that. We will work with people that have zero emails on their list and that don't even know the first thing about Kickstarter. We'll work with that as long as the product is good, right? As as long as the product is, is solid, we can build and help the person along. But, um, I mean, bottom line, the product needs to be solid. So, um, yeah, so in terms of well, gimmicks, gimmicks that you can run.
0: Yeah, there's yeah. there's certain marketing techniques, which they might work in other areas better, but I think a lot of it comes down to uh, perceived value. And there might be things that work in the, sh- the short term, but I, I think they can negatively in the long term impact your brand, especially if you're using some type of gimmick or trick that is manipulating people. I think you'll be very careful mm-hmm. of this. Um, now, one thing that that our system that We're we've planting this- one
1: tree for every belt sold. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna plant one tree for every belt sold. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> so one thing that we
0: and and the system that we set up this virtuous cycle, which is what episode 14 that you'd like to mm-hmm. c- quote a lot. Is yeah, it's one of our
1: most listened to episodes probably because I chime on it so much.
0: When there's an exchange of value, people are connected. And we see the value, the, the email transfer as a form of value. They're entrusting you with something valuable and you have to then steward that email correctly by sending them high quality content about the thing that they want information on. And then through this process, you build a reputation, a brand with them, and then you you direct them to your crowdfunding event. That's sort of the system that, that we've developed. I think there's other methods out there that seek to do that as well. But I think they add unnecessary value ads that I personally think, and I know, Andrew, you share the same opinion, they can kind of come across as gimmicks. And I, I feel that eventually they're going to become very shallow. You know, People are going to be able to see through them. It's like, okay, this is this was so marketing, you know, 2012 or whatever Whilst well, I think we're trying to, implement systems which transcend generations because they're just sort of universal in their principles. You know, people have this kind of intrinsic idea of I provide something to you, you give me something in return. And there's a bit of trust being built here and trust is earned. So it takes time. And so I think all those things uh, are important rather than trying to find the, the secret formula to mind control, <laughs> you know, get people mm-hmm. to take actions against their will because uh, if you
1: want to do that, go work for the CIA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Um so yes, and one of these is actually kind of getting really popular. Um the uh pre-launch um what are we what are we going to call it? The pre-pledge. pre-launch incentive. The pre-pledge the pledge. There you go. So when you pledge a dollar to um uh you know get a nine card um you know deck uh or, or like a nine a nine card mini expansion for free. Um only people who pre-pledge can get this, you put a dollar in, and um you uh get, you know, and then you back the game on Kickstarter and they'll be able to add the nine card mini expansion to everyone that pre-pledged one dollar. And maybe others can buy it for five bucks afterward or something, but you'll never know that others are getting it for free. Um by the content on the the Kickstarter page, it's just that that pre pre-launch pledge of one dollar in addition to the email um, that you're getting is I believe actually more of a gimmick than anything. And there's a company that we've worked with, um, on several different, um, projects that does this. And we find that those people that back $1, there is a, so average when we build, um, an email marketing campaign for, uh, you know, so we, we gather emails for a client going to Kickstarter we expect those to convert at a minimum of 10 percent. Um, so we our we like average conversion rate we see is like 10 to 16. Our highs are like 20 I'm, deliverance was like 21.3 percent. We've had uh, other campaigns as high as 30 percent. Um, so generally 10 to 30 percent is where you're going to land. and um, we find that <clears throat> people that back at that $1 dollar like pre-pledge level. They, those emails, they convert at like toward the higher end of that spectrum, like 20 to 30%, um, which is really, really great. But the people that are pledging, or I'm sorry, that are just giving you their email address and not giving you that dollar pre pledge, they are backing at a rate that is much lower than that 10% minimum. And so what we found. In each of our kind of case studies that we've personally worked in uh, campaigns like this, is that the um, the gimmick of the one dollar pre pledge does not hold water because the averages are the same. So if you average a, you know I don't know let's just say a fifteen percent conversion rate across all of your emails um, versus like a a thirty percent conversion rate with the one dollar pre pledge people and a Five percent conversion rate with the non pre-pledge people, you are going to average to much the same and, or, you know, maybe less, maybe, maybe slightly higher, but just per, like per project, like when we're averaging all of them together, I, the numbers are not actually much different. Um, it's a gimmick that I think you can, you can do that a few times, but if that's like your regular behavior, if it's, um, you know, your second, third, fourth accounts and, you know, that you're running. I mean, I feel like you're you're starting to treat people like commodities, you know? Um, To me, it's, uh, I call it an early bird. It's basically an early bird special that will make people upset if they learn that someone else got it and they they missed out on it just because they heard about your campaign later. I advise against early bird specials. Um, You know, the first 40, you know, everybody who backs in the first 48 hours gets this free thing and then anybody else has to pay $10 for it. Um, It just feels bad or, you know, early bird special, the worst kind of early bird special is the one that's like, um, you know, if you back in the first 48 hours, you'll save $10. And then the regular backers after the first 48 hours, you know, you've got like the regular price. So like your game is $40 normally, but everybody who backs in on the at in the first 48 hours gets the early bird or the first 500 backers get early bird and that's $30. Then everyone after that gets it for forty. What happens is you've got all these people that are happy to get it for thirty, and then the rest are kind of upset. And you you lower the number of people that back because they missed the early bird special. Um, fewer people will back at forty dollars. So I have seen many many types of early birds. There are some companies that do it well. Simon is a great example of a company that does an early bird special well. You will make more money. If you do the early bird special, right. But there are so many ways to do it in a gimmicky fashion that actually doesn't really make you more money. Um, You know, I mean, like, for example, you've got some people that are hardcore fans of your product, and they're going to buy it at whatever price it is. That's my goal. It's like when when we go to Kickstarter with a game or game found with, with a game project, I want people to back it because it looks so awesome and it is just like they can't go without it because it looks it's that great. Now, the first people to back your campaign are going to be people that feel that way. So, why mm-hmm. would you give those people a discount when they don't care what the price is and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, and you know, and anyway, so I guess it's um it's a little bit different, you know, the early birds a little bit different from that pre-pledge. But, you know, just my experience, I kind of feel like they're the same type of gimmick. They're in the same realm.
0: I think another reason why this is implemented is so that the publisher can say, "Well, we'll know how many people who are going to pledge, and then they're going to help mm-hmm. us with our manufacturing." But then the question is, "Well, well, why even have this? Because it's not what the crowdfunding campaigns designed to do? You're supposed to figure out your numbers there, and like, okay, well, this is how many people pledged. This is how big our manufacturing is going to be." So I, I kind of feel like it's almost like the crowdfunding event before the crowdfunding event. Uh, so answering the question "why" is really important there. And to me, it kind of it. It feels more like those, you know, those websites where it's like, "Oh, sign up now for our free trial," but you have to put in your credit card information, and then like mm-hmm. you know that they're going to automatically charge your card after so many days, so you have to remember to cancel your card. And it's like, I always just would prefer if it was just a free trial. You let me try it for thirty minutes, even um, mm-hmm. before I have to put my because I have to give you my card details. It's annoying typing it in, and then you kind of hold right. it ransom. Um, it kind for
1: me, that's a bad user well, experience. Those people are those people are treating you like a commodity. They, they expect that you will use it. You know, like for example, we have various SEO marketing tools that we use, Ahrefs and um, SEMrush and BuzzSumo are tools, many tools, you know, some some we still use. But, um, you know, just to name drop a few of them, they all have free trials that last seven days that ask you to put your um, credit card in. And when when you do that, they expect that you're going to use them for whatever thing that you're curious about one time and then you're gone. So they have to capture that money from you while they can. And what they're doing is they're treating you like a wallet. They're treating you like a transaction because that's kind of how they have to treat you. They're an app that needs users and needs transactions and they're not treating you like a human um if you will, like like you matter to them. But that's the type of business that they are. Now with crowdfunding Every single person, every single email that signs up on your list, you have to treat differently. You have to treat, I mean, my recommendation is that you treat every single one of them like a human and like they matter and um, trying to get them to bust out their wallet. To me, what it says is you're getting them to commit so that they have to back your campaign later. Oh, they backed for a dollar. They have this exclusive thing they can't back out now they'll lose the dollar that they invested um and that's kind of a like an abusive boyfriend attitude where <laughs> you know like you can't leave now like i'll take the kids away or whatever um so i just i feel like that is not not treating your audience like they would want to be treated it's starting you off on kind of the wrong foot it's uh, you're a commodity if i'm interested in the content by itself then I'll buy it, but I have no loyalty to you at all. And uh, you, you're not building any loyalty. Um, and I, I think that the the better way to go is to really bring your people in to a community and talk to them and you know other things like that. It's more effort. You're going to send regular emails. You're going to have, I don't know, a Facebook group, a Discord server, places that you talk to people and that they talk to you, they ask questions and whatnot. Um, but it's worth it for a long, the long term. If you intend to be in this business as like a one and done, then sure, yeah, use use a company like that because you are a commodity, you are unknown. But if you're looking to build a reputation and actually have a a, a Kickstarter, you know, one of the one of the biggest things I see, and actually one of my personal fears with uh, Deliverance is that you know we're going back to Kickstarter in um, the summertime, or you know, Kickstarter Game Found. We haven't yet decided. And uh, which we can talk about at it in a future episode. But um, I'm, I'm afraid, you know, a lot of, a lot of campaigns that do this thing where they, they fund decently. Well, you know, like the uh, first deliverance campaign funded 300 K 314,000. I'm, I'm worried that like the next, like the expansion is going to fund like 110,000, you know, it's like the, like a lot of expansion campaigns do way less than the original. and, what I want is to do at least double of the the original, and it's going to be um, it's going to be difficult. But there's there's just no way that you're going to be able to treat people like a commodity and um, double the amount of of um, you know the next Kickstarter for an expansion, no less. You know, there are very few companies that have managed to um, to achieve that in what I would call like the commodity realm. Um, you know, I can think of the only ones that I can think of have a good relationship with their customers. Um, so I'm, and that, and I, I think that you're just starting on the wrong foot if you do. It yeah, I bit. agree.
0: I think an, another thing is you got to kind of keep Occam's razor in your mind, which means if there's, there's two systems or two, two kind of ideas, just pick the simplest one, <laughs> just pick yeah. give the simplest explanation. And I kind of feel that if you're, having this kind of pre-pledge system before your campaign is even live, there's a lot of things that have to be put into place to make that work. Even if you're pledging a dollar, you've got to figure out a payment processing fee, you've got to collect emails and keep a tab on that and then you know uh, line them up at the end of the campaign, what, all for a dollar? It seems like a lot of extra work in a system that is already complex, which already drives a lot of, uh, of your energies and, and efforts. And I think that the efforts would be better in building your community and just delivering a better product and make sure that the, your product's good. And then you don't have to have these kind of uh, systems in place. I think the only way that this would actually be worth your effort or time is if people are pre-pledging as a down payment for their paid, pledge. So let's say you want to do something like stretch pay on, on GameFound, which allows people to pay in increments post-campaign. Uh, well, you could do that in a pre-campaign setting. So say, look, we're going to Kickstarter. Here's our, our, our pledges. Uh, so far, the, the numbers might change. However, if you want to put a down payment of $20 this month and then $20 the next month, and then when you go to Kickstarter, you know, to get your $60 pledge, it's only going to cost you $20 because you've already put a down payment of, of $40. And th- th- I think that would make more sense because that makes sense. So that's like, okay, well, you're allowing me to like pay. Like a pre-stretch. A, but, that's yeah, kind of like cool. A, like a okay, pre stretch uh um, like giving them basically credit that they can then apply mm. to the pledge manager, which might even be smart because then you can avoid some of those uh, Kickstarter fees uh, the wow. 5%. game
1: found oh my goodness game found if you're listening to this and you and you give people the ability to pay you twenty bucks a month for whatever games are gonna show up there in the future, that is gonna get people that's like pre stretching uh people's budget if they're able to invest a little bit here and there, oh man, wow i um. Have a little, I don't know, goosebumps uh, from. Now from an the disadvantage like of that
0: system <laughs> is that you're not going to have those kind of sexy numbers when you launch, right? Because people are mm-hmm. only be pledging twenty instead of sixty on the day of, of launch. Uh, with that, but hey, you're building a business, not trying to impress people, so uh, that might be something you want to implement. So yeah. I would only I mean, recommend this kind Game of pre-pledge Com. system mm-hmm. if if it was actually going to benefit the end user by making it easier for them to jump in on your pledges.
1: That's really the key that's what it comes down to you know there's there's a lot of a lot of i uh, i guess i don't know things that we could uh, say, but what it comes down to is does is what you're doing benefiting the end user um, in it for the long term and if if it's not benefiting the user for the long term, then you should, probably shouldn't be doing it if you want to be a long term company um, strategic marketing wise you can't treat people like commodities you can't you know you've got to build a relationship. You've got to invest into, you know, taking the time on social media. You've got to invest into sending emails. You've got to invest into, you know, building your communities and supporting the, the people that are playing your game, you know, and, and honestly, maybe that's not right for some people. Maybe they're super busy. They've got, they've got busy lives that, um, don't have time to actually run a publishing company and they want to make a thing that they, um, you know, that they kind of, uh, well, they want to release a thing into the world that they've been dreaming of, and that's it. Uh, and that's okay. But I think that a lot of a lot of people listening to this podcast, they want to turn this, this idea they have into a, a lasting business. And you've got to... I mean, it's not going to happen for everybody, but it can happen for you if you're diligent. I, I believe that if you have a good product and you're diligent and you treat your customers right, because that's... Those are the people that are going to support you and your company and allow you to exist. Um, That's, that's like priority number one for me, you know?
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that sort of much sums it up.
1: So there's one thing that I really wanted to talk about that, that all the things that you've been talking about with, um, you know, how to spot fake Kickstarter gurus and whatnot. um, Anybody can have a one shot wonder a one, one hit wonder, I guess, Um, but consistency is something that you really want to look for in a Kickstarter guru. So, um, for example, if all, I mean, if my only claim to fame was that I made $300,000 with a first project, then, you know, it's, it's at the moment, just a one hit, a one shot wonder, a one hit wonder. Um, there's a movie that if you haven't seen it, I would, I would recommend seeing it. I mean, from, from what, uh, from what I remember it's just such a good movie every single time. Um, it's called Ronin. The movie is about a briefcase that that uh, a group of thieves are trying to steal. And there are a bunch of different thieves trying to steal the case. And the joke is, what's in the case? You know, what's in the case? Nobody knows what's in the case, but they're all trying to steal it. And um, so uh, I believe it's Al Pacino and Sean Bean are some of the main characters. Um, and- Did he die. Oh Sean Bean no actually he didn't die. Wow. <laughs> so I'm about to talk about him too. <laughs> so they they talk about the um so they know when the case is being sold. So there's this transfer happening in, you know, I think it's in France somewhere and um they're setting up this plan for okay put a sniper here put snipers here. Let's put the getaway card there and, and that sort of thing. So they're drawing this plan on a whiteboard. And then uh Sean Bean, so that's um, I don't I think Al Pacino's just watching. And so Sean Bean is like, no guys, we need to do it this way. And you know, he's like really gung ho, and like, you you guys, if we we need to put a sniper here, we need to put a sniper here, we need to do this and that. And then um the uh you know, the wise guy. Uh, I guess the guy with wisdom, not wise guy, because ma- mafia dude, mafia reference. But uh, the guy with wisdom is is Al Pacino, and he says, "Look, if you do that, then you know if you put snipers across from each other, they'll shoot each other. You know, you can't do that." Um, and then he gets this, uh, gets his feeling. He he erases the the diagram, and he he looks at Sean Bean and he says, "Draw it again, draw it again. You know, if you if you remember what." The plan was, why don't you draw it again? And he can't, because he's not actually thinking about the plan. He's trying to be a guru, um, and he was totally exposed as a fraud. And instead of killing him, like in every single other show he's ever been a part of, um, they kick him out, and that's that's the end of Sean Bean in uh, Ronan. So alert. They just, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's made in like the nineties, so you know. Um, it's uh but anyway that's that's not the end of the movie or anything like that that's just like something that happens in the middle but i feel like there are so many um you know people that would call themselves kickstarter gurus that made a good a good amount of money on their first campaign and they're using that to say i am an expert or you know look at me or look at what we did with our clients or whatever but i think that you know one and done like one campaign it's not it's not enough, you know. Like we've got a lot of campaigns that have made high six figures, campaigns that have made over a million, that kind of thing. But to me, that's not the campaign that I would uh, showcase. It's for me, oftentimes our clients are first time creators, so we can have you know any one of like I don't know five, six, seven dozen campaigns that we can point to that say, yeah, this campaign made a dollars, first time creator this campaign made 300,000 first time creator that campaign made 600,000 first time creator um, and so i find that's really really important so um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a fake guru if you will um, when they have one campaign but the proof is in the pudding you know if you've got if you've got results to show it better be more than one client you know there are so many people that run their business so many marketing people that run their business off of one client that go out of business. And this is very common in um, this industry and in marketing in general, you've got a client that provides like 80% of your revenue and anything changes, you're out of business. Um, Mm -hmm. There was at one point uh, we worked for a company um, that provided, uh, it was like $6,000 a month in, into our business. And we made, I want to say like $180,000 a year. So it was um, just over a third of our revenue. And, we had uh, at the time we had myself and then two others that were working, um, and we were like kind of thin on margins as it was, you know, with with three employees and um, other expenses and all of that. And um, if that client let us go, then I, I had to work really hard to retain that client because there were times where they weren't happy or whatever. Um, but if they let us go, I would immediately have to say goodbye to one of my employees if that, if I was by myself as a freelancer, um, I would immediately be out of business looking for a job, you know, like trying to catch up on other clients, trying to, you know, fill the, um, I don't know, uh, fill the kitty with, with new, new business, but probably not able to make a $6,000 a month difference. Um, you know, it's, it would be too difficult. And so oftentimes, um, you know, what I find uh, Kickstarter consultants will have like one or two, like one major client that keeps the, keeps the bills paid and then they'll work for other smaller clients um, which may, you know, maybe you, you know, you're coming in and, and talking to a Kickstarter consultant for the first time um, and they present themselves as, as an expert, but in actuality their, their business is held together by one client. And it's a dangerous place to be. In fact, actually, uh, it's one of the things that we talked about. Like, well, I I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but as a as a business owner, I didn't want my. uh, So uh, you know, after after the experience of having several you know large clients that really had the ability to tell me what to do and when to do it, (laughs) how high to jump, and all of that, it's like, oh my goodness, these people are crazy. and they're making me do things that are outside of the scope of my contract. But if I upset them, then they're going to like, I have to show that extra value. Otherwise I'm canned, you know, cause they're just mm-hmm. kind of being irrational right now. Um, I made the decision, right? Like I want to say around 2015, 2016, that I didn't want to have any one client to, so large that they could tell us how to operate. Um, I needed to have, the, you know, if you're going to play poker with someone, you have to, you have to be able to go all in. And if you're not willing to go all in, you should not be at the table. And um, sometimes going all in actually means like, hey, look, if this is not going to, you know, be a good fit, then you know maybe we need to, um, you know, separate and you know sever our arrangements, Right? Um, if you're not willing to say that, then you can't anyway. So I elected to just work with small businesses rather than like the big businesses. Um, I I elected to work with uh, newer Creators that really needed help because or or small business owners that were answering the phones themselves, because when you make a meaningful difference in their business, they feel it, they see the numbers like the CEO at the top of a you know fifty person company does, but they actually feel the increased activity, they see greater revenue they 're actually able to do more. With what it is that they have, you know, when we work for a first-time creator, second-time creator, small business um, that's done five Kickstarter campaigns or 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 you know, whatever, um, and we make a difference for those people, they appreciate it, and um, I think that that's one of my you know my biggest thing. That's why I love working for for smaller businesses, small creators. Um, you know, honestly, there are many companies that you might consider large in the board game space that are just you know three people running it. And, um, I, I think that, um, those, those people, they, while they, they certainly appear like, you know, larger than life names on the outside, on the inside, um, they really appreciate it when you find ways to move their product, you know? So, all right. Well, with all that said, I hope you guys found it useful. Um, and, uh, so to, uh, to bring us to an end robot, Richard, send us out. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.